We're so glad that you've tuned into our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Laura Chapman, and I serve as the Care and Connections Pastor here. We'll be bringing our series, Everyday Armor, to a close with a message from Pastor Nick. We will face spiritual battles daily, but as Christ followers, we have a secret weapon found in the Holy Spirit. We hope and pray that this message brings you hope and peace today. Now here's Pastor Nick. I spent a lot of years at Rolling Hills in family ministry, working with preschool children and students all across the board. And so I've been to a lot of camps. And several of you in this room, we actually worked some of those camps together along the way because in the summer, in the life of the church, that's what you do. You take kids to camp and you bring kids to vacation Bible school and you have all kinds of opportunities, all geared to helping kids know Jesus better and understand what it means to follow him. Well, one of the years that I spent taking a whole bunch of Rolling Hills Community Church Elementary School kids off to away camp. Now that's a big deal because for many of them, it's the first time that they've ever been away without parents or grandparents taking care of their every waking need all throughout the day. And so you do everything that you can to prep parents for that moment so that they can coach their kids to be ready. And we got back from a fantastic week of camp. I mean, it was so good in every way. We didn't have any injuries. We brought all the children home that we took with us at the beginning of the week. So things were going really, really well. And I get back and, you know, I'm doing what people do. I'm sitting there scrolling on the social media and I've taken a nap to kind of rest from the day. I'm looking at, and I see this picture from one of our parents and she's posting a little bit about her son's experience at camp. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to dial into this really quickly. His name is Caleb. He's already graduated high school and he's a young adult. So the statute of limitations and be embarrassing with him in this story are way expired. I can say his name and do whatever. Literally, she takes a picture of of this duffel bag and the side compartment of it, she unzips it and takes a photo of a full container of both body wash and a full container of shampoo. The caption underneath it read, well, I sent him to camp with full body wash and full shampoo, and he came home from camp with full body wash and full shampoo. We were concerned about the spiritual well-being of these kids. We did not double check every day to make sure they took a shower. Subsequently, later on in the day, she posted another side compartment of that same duffel bag. Every single pair of clean underwear that she had packed for him that week were still just as neatly folded as when she sent him that way. We've been talking. Some of y'all aren't going to outlive that. Some of you are like, I can't laugh at it because my own kid did that. We've been talking this whole month about the armor of God, about the idea that that God has provided for us and equipped us with everything that we need in order to be successful against our battles, against not flesh and blood, not earthly challenges, but against the, the demons and the principalities and the forces of spiritual darkness that are awake in this world. And the problem is just because we've been given it doesn't mean that we used it. A lot of us are some Caleb's running around in the room, and we have been provided everything that we need, but just because it's been provided for you does not mean that you used it. And so we're diving into scripture, and we're going to start right at the beginning, where we were at the very beginning of this series, reading from Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10, looking at what the armor means, and then landing the plane today with the final pieces of what God provides for us. And it says in verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 6, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. 
Put on the full armor of God. We've talked over and over again about not putting on half the armor of God, not putting on just one piece of the armor of God and assuming that you've got it and that you look good and that you're ready for battle, but putting on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Those schemes, it's, it's that he's meant to take us on a journey. He wants to take us on a path that God did not intend for us. So we're gonna stand firm against that for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Our our battle is different than what we think it is. It says, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, not if the day of evil comes, when the day of evil comes, we know it's looking around our shoulder, wondering what's going to happen next. We know that there is an enemy out there. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, and in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. This is the armor that we've been provided. And the problem with the armor is that many of us don't put on, we don't take on, we don't utilize the things that we've been given. Over and over in this passage, what we're learning is ultimately, it's what's in your notes this morning. If your person likes to fill in the blanks or you like to type it in on the mobile app, this is what you have today. It's that it's in the Lord's might. It's in the Lord's might that we need. We need the Lord's might. And the problem, number one, is that we are too quick to rely on our own power and on our own strength. It says, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Every single element of this armor harkens back to an Old Testament image of the idea of God going to battle for us and God putting on an armor and sending a champion into the ring. It's the picture of salvation that we need that's found only in Jesus. And the problem in this life is that you and I think that we've got it all on our own. How many of us have been that kid heading off to camp with one last reminder one more of the 100 reminders that mom has given. Hey, don't forget this, don't forget this. Don't forget to brush your teeth. Don't spend all your money at the snack shack on the first night. Don't do this, do do this, da 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 And you're like, oh, mom, I got it, 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 I got it. And then you come home realizing that you don't in fact got it and that you didn't in fact have it along the way. It's not our strength, it's not our power, it's not our might. That's why we approach this table today. That's why we grab these elements today. That's why we look at this portion of scripture because it is what we need. It's the Lord's might, not our own. This passage of scripture concludes with what we often separate from the passage about the armor of God, but the most important piece of it, it's, it's reminding us that we need God, and it's telling us how we access God. It's through prayer. In your notes this morning, prayer connects us to God in a way that nothing else can. That's why in Jeremiah, you know, everybody's got this Jeremiah 29:11. It used to be inside, well, I've got this stretchy bandy ring on now, but in the original wedding band that Susan gave me, Jeremiah 29:11 was kind of carved inside, and it was the reminder that God has promised us, hey, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And that's, that's the prayer that we wanted for our marriage. That's the prayer that we claimed over this life that we've been given, knowing that there is exile, knowing that there is struggle, knowing that there is sin, knowing that there is pain, knowing that there are challenges. We were hoping and praying that the Lord would bless. And then it says in verse 12, these words, then you will call on me 
then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. Verse 13 goes on to say, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Like this whole avenue of prayer is seeking out the good will of God and we want that promise, we want that future. And what Jeremiah was talking about was a a dangerous future, a, a, a challenging future. And yet, even in the midst of that challenge, there was a promise that God has this. Prayer connects us to God in a way that nothing else can. So several years into kids' ministry, I got the chance to take my own oldest kid to camp for her very first away camp experience. And I I, I guess that it's not the same as all the other kids who were going away without mom and dad when your dad is the pastor and he just happens to be there. And I think the thing that surprised me the most about that week is how clingy she was. Second grade, I didn't know that it would be that way. She just wanted to be where I was and wanted to know where I was and wanted to know what was happening. And we were staying in this two-story conference building and she was in a room with a whole bunch of little second and third grade girls and they had a whole great group of moms to help take care of them throughout the week. And I promise she bathed every day. Like that was something I could guarantee. And every night she would come out with wet head from that and she'd say, Daddy, will you braid my hair for the next day? And of course I would, because it's a sweet little moment. And I would say, good night, I love you. And have fun with the girls. Listen, y'all turn your lights out whenever Miss Danielle says to turn your lights out. And she would say, hey, Dad, are you going to walk to breakfast in the morning? And I would say, yeah, sweetie. She'd say, can I walk to breakfast with you? Oh, absolutely, 100%. You can tell where are you going to be? I said, well, how about we meet right here on this little piece of sidewalk in front of the building, and we'll walk over to breakfast. Daddy, what time? And I would tell her the time, and she'd be real stressed about the time. So in the morning, it, without fail, About 10 minutes before the time was for me to be out there on the sidewalk, she would call my room. And my kids grew up with the idea of cell phones, and we didn't have a a, a home phone. And so all throughout our life, they understood that a phone is with you wherever you go. The problem was that that these rooms that we were in, they had corded phones. Our kids had never really seen these before. So there she was calling me from her room. Hello. Hey, Daddy, it's Lily Kate. Hey, Lily Kate. Are you gonna meet me on the sidewalk? Yeah, sweetie, I'm gonna, where are you right now? <laughs> well, sweetie, I'm in my room talking to you on the, on the phone that I'm tethered to. She didn't understand that I couldn't be answering that phone from anywhere in the world like we answer this phone from anywhere in the world. And so she said, Daddy, where are you? Well, I'm in my room, sweetie. Are you gonna come to the sidewalk? Yes, and I'd meet her out there. We would go to breakfast and it would be a fine morning. How many of us do that? We get on our knees in a posture of prayer and the first question out of the gate is, God, where are you? And he said, I'm right where I told you I would be. I'm right there with you. I I think we begin so many moments in our prayer life wondering where in the world God is when we should know exactly where he is because he's told us where he's going to be. The promise is that he would be right there with us. So we conclude the armor of God passage, starting in verse 18, it says this, and pray. You put on this full armor and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. Like, wake up, people. Be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. God's given us this picture of coming to him in prayer, 
all kinds of prayers, in the spirit kind of prayers, powerful, alert, ready kind of prayers. The New American Standard version of this passage of scripture says prayers and petitions. And this idea of prayers is not just prayer noun, the thing that you actually sit down and pray, but it's also the attitude of a prayer place where you sit down and pray it because that in and of itself also matters. This idea of a prayer and a petition is expressing your need to God. He's saying, hey, and put on the full armor of God and pray to him. Tell him what your needs are. And in that express need, we're seeking God, not just seeking him haphazardly, but seeking him with all of our heart. This idea of prayer, it's not often associated as one of the pieces of the armor of God, but it is. Just because it's the very last article does not mean that it's not the most essential. It may be the last one mentioned, but it is the most essential one in the list. Rolling Hills, we have this list of core values, things that we think should govern everything that we do, things that we think should, should, should matter in every avenue of what we are. Like, like Rolling Hills, we're called to be a people who reach. Every single one of us is a minister. This is supposed to be a place that's full of joy. It's supposed to be a church and a community of faith that's all about love. We understand change here. We understand that some of the things that we do as a church will change from time to time in order to effectively reach people outside of this room with the gospel that they can understand. The, the message always stays the same, but the method in which we communicate it changes year after year after year. We're moving towards God's agenda for our church, and the the last core value on the list is certainly not the last most important one. It says prayer undergirds. I love that we use that word undergirds. It supports. It provides core strength. Prayer undergirds everything that we do. So if we want to be a church that reaches out, we want to be a church that grows, we want to be a church that ministers to the needs around us, we want to be a church that navigates the changing culture and stays true to the message of the gospel, we have to also be a church that prays. The idea of undergirds is to secure or fasten from the underside. The the, the definition of that word says, especially by a rope or a chain. It's funny that Paul says, I'm an ambassador in change, especially by a rope or a chain passed underneath. It provides support and a firm basis. At the end of the discussion, prayer is really, it's an act of submission and it's an admittance of our need. Submitting to someone and admitting that you have needs, those aren't the things that you naturally think about when you're gearing up for battle. You naturally think about a battle as how strong you are, but prayer reminds you of how much you need God. It's ultimately an act of submission under his authority. Praying is saying out loud, I don't have it on my own. I need you. Prayer is an important part of worship. Because ultimately when we worship, what we're doing is we're singing songs, we're, we're, we're giving all of our focus and our attention to God, we're telling him with words how great he is, we're doing it in unison together as a body believer, proclaiming the goodness of God, the good works of God, the nature of God, the character of God. And when we pray, it's an act of worship because we're literally saying to the God, I need you and you alone and you're it. Where else are we going to go to find the words of eternal life? Where else are we going to go when we need healing? Where else are we going to go when we need wisdom? We're saying to God, you have wisdom, you have power, you have glory, and I'm giving all of that just by nature of my attention focused on you in this moment of prayer. It's giving God worship and praise. You're in essence taking on a posture of humility, saying, I don't have it on my own. 
My, my whole life is just one big need. Sometimes when it comes to prayer, we, we make a whole lot of assumptions about God by the things that you choose to pray for, and especially by the things that you choose not to pray for. How many of you have ever been so disheartened by the needs that are in your life when compared to the needs that are around the world? It's, it's, it's hard to pray for things in our lives that seem less than big, huge global needs. Oh, God's busy. He's got, he's got Brazil to think about, and the pandemic there is wiping people out left and right. He's got lost people in the Middle East who are, who are the churches over there who are literally underground and, and being persecuted, some of them killed every single day, martyred for their faith. Those are the people that God really con- is concerned about. He's got more important things to worry about than me, and so you've shuffled some things off of your prayer list in life because you think they're just not grand enough or special enough or big enough. God's got more to deal with than just me. Well, how big is your God? Or, or maybe that prayer life has gotten brushed off because you thought to yourself, well, I, I can't really go to God with this because at the end of the day, it's kind of my fault anyway. In 2015, I had a minor health scare, just minor. Um, and it prompted a little bit of a journey with me, and it's a little bit humbling to even share a portion of that journey because throughout the course of it, I ended up losing about 90 pounds. Let's not even talk about how many COVID ones I've put back on since then, but it was a, a journey of health. And I remember at the beginning of that, kind of feeling pretty weak and pretty broken and saying, well, I know I should pray about this, but I, I kind of feel bad praying about this. Why would God want to help me with this? Because it's all my fault anyway. Like, I'm, I'm the reason that I am. I'm in the struggle that I am because of the poor choices I've made. So God doesn't want to be burdened with that. I'll just tell him that I'm sorry for making those poor choices, and then I'll, on my own, fix it. The problem is I couldn't, on my own, fix it. And it wasn't going to be a diet. It wasn't going to be an exercise plan. It wasn't going to be any of the good choices that I needed to make. First, it was going to be a prayer that I needed to pray. Like a kid stuck on the side of the road with a car that won't start. What do you do? You phone your dad. What do you do if he's a high-powered CEO in the world or the president of the United States? He's got way bigger, better things to know. In your moment of crisis, no matter how inconsequential, even if the problem was your own fault to begin with, you call home. You say, Father, I need help. I need a, a bit of rescue. I, I need a heavenly touch. You know, Jesus, when he was giving his disciples instructions about how to pray, he looked at a group of people who had only known reverence for God their whole life, and he invited them to do something unique, something different in their prayer. He invited them to call him Father, our Father who is in heaven. And a lot of us pray these words, Abba, Father, when we think, oh, I'm praying the Greek word. No, Abba is really the Aramaic word of pater, the Greek word Father. And what we're really saying is, this is an intimate name that I get to call you as your child. Anybody on planet Earth, all seven point whatever billion people there are, if I were to meet them all, they could all call me Nick or Pastor Nick or Mr. Allen or Nick Nicholas. Now, that's probably reserved for my mother and my mother only, but some, you guys, all these names, only three humans, only three, of everybody else that's ever has been born, will be born, or is alive right now, only three people can call me dad. Well, the great God of this universe looks at believers in Jesus Christ, all of them, 
past, present, future, and invites them into a relationship where they can call him Father, our, our Father in heaven. And it's not just a name of intimacy, it's a recognition of obedience. Because what do you do with your Father? You tell him what your needs are, and you obey the words that he says. Calling God Father was an invitation into relationship. And that relationship was always going to be characterized by intimacy and also obedience. That idea of calling God Father is a term of respect. He is Father as in King, but He's also Father as in relational Dad who you can go to. And ultimately, that means that we can pray for anything. It's in your notes. We can pray in every way for anything. Nothing is off limits when it comes to prayer. Philippians 4, 6 says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, every single situation in life, by prayer and petition, you're expressing your needs to God with thanksgiving, present your request to him. James sums it up for us in his book when he's talking about a relationship with God, the apostle, writing to a dispersed church, writing to a, a, a people facing difficulty in so many different situations. He says, is anybody among you in trouble? Let them, what's the solution for that? Pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, it's my fault anyway, God. They will be forgiven. It says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person Whose righteousness? The breastplate of righteousness, not our righteousness, God's righteousness. The prayer of the righteous person is powerful and effective. So when we're lost, we pray. When we're in need, we pray. When we're struggling, we pray. When we're hurt, we pray. When we're lonely, we pray. When we're excited, we pray. God, where are you? I'm right there with you. And prayer is our way to connect with him. This passage of Scripture says, pray in the Spirit on all occasions. And we dive in. There's a lot of other passages of Scripture that talk about praying in the Spirit. And a lot of people would confuse that with the idea of praying in a tongue or in a language, a Holy Spirit language that's different. This isn't talking about praying in the Spirit of you speaking language at all. It's literally talking about praying in the Spirit as if the Spirit is the one who speaks for you. In fact, praying in the Spirit is ultimately our best weapon. You want to talk about the armor of God and the breastplate of righteousness and the belt of truth and the sword of the Spirit. Our best weapon against any enemy is ultimately prayer. And the idea of praying in the Spirit means that you don't have the words. You don't quite know what to pray for. My family watches the Andy Griffith show. Maybe some of you have seen it. And their phones were different even than these phones. You remember Andy Griffith had that phone that was like a little stick and he picked it up and he talked into a little mouthpiece and he had this little thing over here and he pulled it up to his ear and that's how he would talk on the phone to somebody. And do you remember something else that was different about Andy Griffith's phone? It didn't have any numbers on it. He didn't dial a number this way and he didn't dial a number this way and he didn't dial a number this way. Siri, call Susan. Like it wasn't that at all. Actually, it really was a little bit more. Except it wasn't Siri, it was Sarah. Hey Sarah, get me Wally over at the fill-in station. And, and she would make the connection. We don't know what to pray. We don't know how to get there. We're asking the Holy Spirit to make the connection. 
And the Holy Spirit prays words and offers groanings and leanings on our behalf that we can't ever do ourselves. Romans 8, 26 says, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit himself, he makes the connection. He intercedes for us through wordless groans. That means that when we don't actually know what to pray for, it can actually lead to your most powerful prayers. A lot of people don't pray because they don't know what to pray for. Not knowing what to pray for might lead to your most powerful prayers instead of a weak and a, a prayerless life. Jason Hale, our, our, our Nolansville campus pastor, found this quote this week, and I just couldn't get it out of my mind. It's from a, a, a minister named Paul Miller. He says, if you are not praying, then you are quietly confident that time, money, and talent are all you need in life. When you're not praying, you're saying to God, I got this. You worry about the big stuff. I'll take care of me. When you're not praying, you're not recognizing that you need the full armor, and you need to maintain that connection. There was a, a woman in Scripture it's when Jesus was kind of alive after he was born, after he called his disciples, before he was arrested and tried and convicted and crucified on a cruel cross. There was a woman pressing in in crowds. Like, it's been Matthew chapter 9 for us. And she was literally pressing in on a crowd, hoping to see him, hoping to find him. And she had a problem. She had actually been bleeding internally. Some people relate that to female problems. Regardless of what it was, it had been going on for 12 years. For 12 years, she had endured this pain. For 12 years, she had endured this predicament. And the challenge with that predicament is that in that community, as a woman who was bleeding, she wouldn't have had access to relationships. She wouldn't have had access to opportunities. She would have literally been outside the camp. So she had needs. And so she presses in on the crowd that day, hoping to find Jesus. The Old Testament scripture in the book of Numbers, the the Levites and the priests, they're, they're commanded to wear these shawls, these, these garments with little tassels on the ends, with little fringe on the corners of that garment. And so as a rabbi in Jesus' day, he would have worn one of those garments, one of those kind of shawls. You could have called it a prayer shawl. It had tzitzit or these little tassels on the corners of it, and the edge of it was called a kanaf. And in the book of Malachi, it says that the Son of Man will rise with healing in his wings. In his edges. It didn't mean that the Savior was going to come with giant eagle wings on the back and he was going to fly somewhere and just be this crazy, like, animal Savior. It meant that on the edges of that garment that there was healing. It meant that on the edges of that garment that there was hope. And so you, you can read about it in Scripture. It says in Matthew chapter 9 that a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him pressing in, excuse me, excuse me, pardon me, pardon me, and touched the edge of his cloak. She wasn't reaching out to tap Jesus on the shoulder. She wasn't trying to get his attention. Hey, you, I've heard a little bit. No, she was reaching out for the edge of the cloak. She said to herself, if I can only touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter. Your faith has healed you, and the woman was healed. The bleeding stopped at that very moment. When we bow down to pray, what we're really doing is reaching out to Jesus. 
What, what we're really doing is grabbing the edge of the garment and saying, help. Grabbing the edge of the fringe of the corner where there's healing and saying, I need some of that. And in a day that's all about prayer, it'd be real remiss if, if we didn't take some time to do that. So I'm going to get in the posture that you are. Sitting down like you guys. And maybe, I don't know, if this would be a moment when you want to literally, like we've always told our, our kids, like we've always been instructed our whole life, just to kind of bow down. In a, it's certainly a position of reverence. When a knight, somebody that's clothed in armor, would bow down before the king, they're exposing the nape of their neck, literally the only piece of their body not covered by armor. So saying to the king, all right, my life is in your hands. You can knight me or you can kill me. I literally belong to you. So when we bow down before God, we're literally saying, okay, Lord, my life is yours. You can, you can take it or you can use it. I belong to you. I submit to you. I recognize you. Jews were instructed to always pray with their heads and hearts and their hands towards heaven. So maybe you're a person in the room. You're going to feel weird in the moment. But when we pray, maybe you just want to flail it up. This isn't just the I praise you position. It's the I surrender position. Maybe you want to stand to your feet. Maybe you want to... Get on your knees. Regardless of what it is, I just invite you to pray with me. And as you do, maybe you'll think about where you are in this moment. Right here today, in this second. Because you see, I know that there's people in our church. I know there's people in this room. I know there's little last names on cards of people that lost a lot this year. Just the physical things. The job, the house, the car, the friend. And so I pray on your behalf today, Lord, for anyone who's lost, for anyone who has needs, I pray that you would be provision. God, that you would provide. I know there's relational challenges, difficulties getting along, marriages that may be in trouble or marriages that just feel out of sync. And, and so maybe today you just want to pray. Lord, would you heal the broken parts? Would you forgive the sinful parts? Would you help us move past the, the hurt and the pain and the disappointment and recognize that in our humanity and our weakness, we can't possibly be everything that you've called us to be, so instead, we just trust you. I know there's people that are desperate for their kids and their grandkids to know and follow Jesus. You're praying that 1 Corinthians 5 prayer all the time. You're like, Lord, we planted seeds. Lord, we watered seeds. But ultimately, we know that it's you who gives growth. And so would you give growth in my home? Would you help my kids know and follow you? Would you help my grandkids find and seek you? Maybe you just want to take a minute 
palms out, hands up, and, and, and offer those kids to God. And say, would you take them? Would you call them? Would you help them hear you? Would you just say their names out loud or under your breath, inside your mask? Just speak that name to God. I know there's temptation. I know there's evil lurking around every corner and it, it, it thinks that it has a hold on you. That temptation knows how to push your buttons. It knows where the weaknesses are. And so maybe in this moment, you just need to pray, Lord, undergird me. Give me the strength and the support and the foundation to handle and to resist all that temptation. Maybe it's physical illness where you need healing. Maybe it's fear that you need to cast out. Maybe you're just exhausted. I just said exhausted and somebody said amen. You're just tired because it's hard. And so you want to hear the words of Jesus, hey, take my yoke upon you. Cast, cast your, your cares on me. That, that burden can be light. Maybe it's grief or sorrow because somebody that you love so much is gone. Maybe it's wisdom because you've got to make a big decision and you have no idea which way to turn. There's a God on the other end of the line who's, who's right there with us and he is also for us. And so pray in every occasion. <laughs> the eight that we just mentioned and the 800 that we didn't. In every occasion, by the power of the Spirit, groaning on your behalf, make your prayers and present your petitions to God because you need him. He gave you the armor. You just got to put it on. And just as it ends with prayer, it might ought to start there. Lord, help us to put on the full armor of God, to be a people who, who gird ourselves with the belt of truth, who protect ourselves with the breastplate of righteousness, who don the helmet of salvation and the shoes of the gospel of peace, who take up our shield of faith and who yield our sword of the Spirit, which is your word. May we be a people who come to you and pray to you because we need you. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray these things. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about what's going on in the life of Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app or visit our website at rollinghills.church. From there, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook to stay up to date on what's happening and ways you can connect. We're thankful for you.